just not what I am, even though my zip code has changed. I might smile and enjoy where I'm currently employed. Your soul can't be rearranged. But it's hard to understand. It's so hard to understand. Farewell, fam. It's episode 14 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast, your weekly Milwaukee Brewers podcast. I'm Steve Garshinsky, and with me, as always, is J.P. Breen and Ryan Topp. The Brewers front office was surprisingly busy this week, so we'll talk about the Chase Anderson contract and the one-year deal they gave Eric Sogard. You can rate and review the podcast on iTunes. It helps fans find the podcast, so just take a minute, leave five stars, and write something nice about us. We want listener questions, so follow Milwaukee's Tailgate on Twitter, at Tailgate. Email questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or follow our Facebook page for Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast. You can also follow the three of us on Twitter, and you'll find that in our Milwaukee Tailgate Twitter bio. And we're featured on Disciples of Euchre, so check out disciplesofeuchre.com for great brewers content. Milwaukee's Tailgate is sponsored in part by Sound Devices, a premier manufacturer of audio production gear. They're located right here in Wisconsin. Sound Devices gear is used worldwide and is found on the set of Oscar-winning films and popular TV shows. And if you're looking to create a professional-sounding podcast, check out the MixPre 3 and MixPre 6. For more information, visit sounddevices.com. Okay, so like I said uh, in the intro there, uh, the Brewers were surprisingly... um, What are you guys texting about right now? Quaggas. Quaggas. <laughs> Quaggas. What is a quagga? It's a, it's a mix between some horse and... It's extinct, first of all. Uh, mix between some kind of horse and a zebra thing. It's extinct? Yeah. Won't what, do you think I made that up? Think no, of it's, the quagga? no, it's an, it's an extinct thing. Okay. okay. Well, there we go. We know what a, kind of know what a quagga is. How do you spell it? Q-U-A-G-G-A. Okay, so anybody who wants to uh, Google that, now you know what you're going to do. So, okay, anyways, guys... Uh, Brewers front office was busy this week. We already got uh, the first contract, first two contracts handed out this year. I think it was a little bit surprising. Um, so Chase Anderson signed uh, a deal that guaranteed uh, two years, and then he has two club option years. So he's guaranteed $11.75 million, and with incentives, the contract could be a total of $30 million. Um, so I guess first off, Ryan, what are your thoughts on this contract? You know, risk for the Brewers. Uh, I know you kind of had some. I mean, I, the risk for the Brewers. I was going to say really you, low. You had some opinions uh, of what Anderson should have gotten. Well, I I think that it's yeah. So basically, when you think about what a deal like this is, you're talking about a player trading some of their potential earning upside and to get some certainty in the short term. That's the the basic transaction that takes place when you're doing these kind of contracts. And I just am not sure how much Chase Anderson really got in terms of security that he didn't almost already have in the pocket anyway. Because Well, he got $12 million guaranteed. Well, but okay. But he was in line for this year, and the projection was on MLB Trade Rumors. They said he was you know a $5.6 million player. And what he ended up getting... If you, it's funny, if you look at what his incentives for this year add up to, it's 5.65. If he, hits, if he gets all his innings incentives this year, he makes $5.65 million. Uh, that includes, sorry, that also includes the million-dollar signing bonus. So he'll get, over this next calendar year or whatever, he will get $5.65 million. So it works out to be almost exactly that amount of money. So you can sort of look at that and go, 
he had that money really in his pocket already. What did he need to do? Show up to spring training and that money's his essentially like it's so that money was already there. But this this whole trade, uh, this whole contract for him is not about 2018 though. No, it's not. But then if you look at the next year in the arbitration process, the most you are allowed to lose is 20%. So if you look at from from what you would have made before, so if we take that five point six million dollars that we think is about what he was worth at oh, arbitration, hold on, hold on, hold on. He's not going to hold on, hold on. Though. He wouldn't lose it, but no, no, no. But here, you, but you also can be non-tendered. You and I'm just going to bring that up. That's the point. Is like that that's you, not that the whole point about losing money in arbitration is not taking into account the fact that you can be non-tendered and come up with zero. Right, and that's and that's what I was going to bring up is the the possibility of being non-tendered exists. But realistically, what would have to happen this year for Chase Anderson to be non-tendered for 2019? He would have to have a really, really bad season or a catastrophic injury, basically. I was going to say, I think catastrophic injury would be the only thing. Even if he had a really bad season, they would bring him back and give him another shot. And see what he would, he would get. So really, this is – so if you take those dollars figures and you go, okay, basically this, was, this is catastrophe insurance for him. And so – he ended up getting because if you take those numbers together, the five point six million plus, you know, about that same amount, that gets you to just about what he got guaranteed in this deal. Eleven point seven five. It's just about what he got guaranteed. Maybe a sli- maybe a million less or something. So really what the deal amounted to was Chase Anderson catastrophe insurance. Now, you made the point, and I'll let JP take over here. He made the point that he didn't lose so much on the back end as maybe it might appear. And I think that's right. And so, like, his risk on the back end is probably fairly minimal. He could potentially have made some more money than what he's, you know, can make under this contract. But it's probably not crazy amounts more. I'll let you talk about that, though. Yeah, I mean, I think that we get into situations, I think, for a lot of people looking at player contracts looking at people who are buying out arbitration years and thinking about how bad of a deal it is for them and how how you know beneficial it is to the ownership and how much money the team is saving and how bad it is for labor and all of these sorts of things and i think that those are valid but at the same time chase anderson is going to be 30 years old he's never been guaranteed a a roster spot much less a rotation spot in his entire career and he's getting to the place in which now he is guaranteed $11.75 million and can make upwards of $30 million going into his age 30 year. And this is somebody that, you know, even if you do look at the fact that he had a wonderful year, which he did by, you know, pretty much whatever measure, measure you want to look at, other than if you look at his peripherals, if you look at his DRA on, on baseball prospectus, uh, was up near four it there were some signs that you know certainly i don't expect him to be a a sub three era pitcher again i don't think he's going to be somebody who you would argue is an ace though he did obviously make some big adjustments and some big uh improvements and he would have to continue making those improvements to probably repeat right he would have to continue to make more improvement to repeat make more just maintain what he's done Right. To maintain the ERA, he probably has to get better as a pitcher, likely. Well, I think he, he added a fourth pitch this year, right? Yeah. Well, his curveball got better, okay. right? It wasn't so much that it, there were some mechanical tweaks to to improve his, his curveball. And 
Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, the one thing about bringing up uh, his DRA, which, like I said, I was kind of looking at all of that when we were putting this together, he has consistently outpitched his DRA every season. Mm-hmm. And he's done it by a run to a run and a half, like consistently every season. So I don't know how much we you know, should consider that as well. I, even before the step forward he took this year with his stuff, he was still outpitching his DRA. Absolutely. What's, what's the best was... explanation for that in your mind, JP? What do you think? What explains that? Are we talking about generating more soft contact maybe than Because the numbers average? aren't perfect and we can't explain everything? Well, well no. Gonna, but if say, it's somewhat like, consistent at this point. Likely the fact that you're talking about uh, less consistent contact, you're talking about being able to keep guys off balance more. It's a lot like the Marco Estrada thing, I suspect, but... Uh, ultimately DRA is a little bit too new for us to be able to have too many explanatory theories about why people outpitch their DRA. Like it took us for, it took us quite a long time to be able to figure out why people were doing this for FIP and things like that. Um, but one of the things that scares me about talking about guys who outpitch their peripherals is the quintessential explanation, like the, the guy who like epitomized this for the better part of, you know, I don't know, like a half decade or so was, was Matt Kane. Oh, yeah. And everybody was like, Matt Kane is better than his peripheral numbers until he hit his early thirties and yep. it, it regressed and it regressed in a hurry. And I don't necessarily know necessarily if that's just stuff related, if that's injury related, if, you know, like it's somewhat of a mirage and things caught up to him or how that is. But I don't know if we have too many examples of guys into their thirties that are going to outpitch their peripherals on a, on a yearly basis. Um, and I think that it's, it's absolutely a valid thing t- to bring up. And it's maybe something that we can talk to, to uh, John judge about in terms of why guys might outpitch their DRA a little bit more than, than we, than we understand at this moment, or at least I understand. And we do get into questions about, how we judge players for potentially giving up money. And we don't talk about the fact that this is a pitcher who has a lot of innings on his arm, who could be one step away from injuring his shoulder, injuring his elbow, having one bad year. And then you're talking about a 31 year old coming off of, you know, like this was his first year having an ERA under four. Do we think he has a lot of mileage on his arms? I I don't think he has a season where he's, he hasn't gone 200 innings. And I think it's pretty rare that he's gone over maybe 175. No, but he's still pitched every single year since 2009. And going back to when he was a kid. I mean, who knows what he was used like when he was in college, when he, well, that's fine. But as a pro right now, I wouldn't look at him and say this guy's just been a horse that's been killing it, you know, on the mound with the number of inning, innings he's been throwing. No, um, but then one could make the argument that if he was used in that way, he would have been injured when he was 26 or 27 instead of waiting until he was his early 30s, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, everything is speculation, but I do think that there is a good argument for being a pitcher and realizing that you're on borrowed time in terms of doing mechanics that your arm is not built for. I mean, and, and being able to take the money in advance and not having us try to worry about whether or not he shorted himself $5 million bucks. Well, I think that might be the biggest thing is Chase Anderson and his agent were happy with the deal. The Brewers are happy with the deal. 
Yeah, we don't I mean, have. Chase Anderson we don't have to worry financially about either of those parties. No, Chase. You know, no. so Chase like Anderson. Let's Chase Anderson line. said he's now been a, now he feels secure, and at thirty years old, for the first time, feels secure that he has made enough money to take care of his family in the way that he wants to. And I know that people will roll their eyes at that because you know I. I do think that there's an argument that you don't need 11, you know, nearly $12 million to take care of your family, but you don't, at this point, he's not necessarily trained to do anything else in his, you know, I don't know what he's been doing on the side. Even long, even long baseball careers are short careers. Absolutely. Like in, in the grand scheme of things, long baseball careers are short careers. So, I mean, yeah, you need to make all your money up front because that's what you're going to be living on. Um, One thing. So just, what do we think? So if he had not taken this deal, because he's in line, these option years, he gets 8.5 in 2020 if the Brewers pick it up, and 9.5 in 2021. And that would have been his first year of free agency. So he gave up one year of free agency. Which, which that's a pretty good deal on a free agent pitcher if you're only paying 9.5. And he, right. And, At 33 years old, though, right? And he's 33. So potentially, I mean, he may have given up. If he were to continue at this rate... With the way he pitched last year, and let's not assume that, like, let's just say he pitches like he did last year, and we're to do that for three more seasons, and then we're to hit free agency. What kind of a contract do you think he could get? If he's, that's well, kind of hard sorry, to say, considering you know it's how many years out. Over. Yeah. <laughs> with, with the number of years we're out from that, it's kind of hard to put a dollar it value to say what the market's going to do because well, we it have, is, but. Also, if he's if we're going to be working on the assumption that he's pitching like this for the next three years, why are we limiting at four and the fact that he could be signing something at age 33? Right. So the fact or 34, he, I think I kind of I back of the envelope it that afternoon and kind of looked at it and said, at most, he's probably giving up if if he's really good, if he if he continues to pitch this way, maybe even a little bit better at most, he's probably giving up. 15 to 20 million on the back end like that's the high end estimate you're going to say that he's going to improve from a 270 ra no that he would improve the peripherals to make the 270 ra more legitimate i guess okay okay keep going just wanted to know i'm saying i'm saying that he's giving okay on the back end he maybe lost at most 15 to 20 million which I guess exchanging the the certainty of, you know, like I said, it, I look at it like it's basically catastrophe insurance. Right. But what is why is it that suddenly when players do this, everybody gets so concerned about the player giving up money? Right. I mean, it's the exact same thing that article after article was written about John, you know, John Singleton, who was who was with the Astros, a first baseman who signed a $10 million contract before he even reached the majors. And everybody said he gave up millions of dollars and how foolish he was. And dude can't even get out of, uh, out of he's like a quad a player at best now. Um, and I, why is it that we get so concerned about players giving up their money? Uh, no, I, I'm not really concerned about it. That's not, it's not a concern. You've been anymore. focused you, you on talk, this. You, you talked about it in the G chat for like an hour. Yeah, yeah. that's because you guys were talking back. So that's, well, how, it, that's how it goes. Um, no, I think that the concern is, and this is, uh, I will say this. I think that there is an issue right now with baseball players being, and this is going to sound so stupid, but that baseball players are being underpaid. Relative, By all means, keep going. Yeah. That <laughs> baseball players are underpaid relative to what the other sports are making. They're getting last. I saw it was low forties percentage of the, the total uh, um, revenue generated by the sport, which is, you know, way, way lower than the other sports and deals like this are a small part of why I think that players get, it, why baseball players are getting a little bit less than maybe they 
rightfully deserve based on their value in the sport and their value to the, the overall enterprise of what's going on. Why is this something we should worry about? Because they have their own, hold on, they have their own representation. We they shouldn't. can fight for a larger pie or a piece of the pie. So, I mean, well, I mean, we a, can look at it and say, yeah, they are the owned more. Isn't as strong and there's as well a as huge argument to say that major league players are selling out minor league players and making more money than they should because minor league players are being exposed exploited to the fact that all of the money from the ownership and the MLB is being siphoned off to keep it in the MLB through draft bonuses, through international bonuses, through the fact that minor league players are having their, mon- their money capped, they're not being paid enough to be able to, to live over the winter, and all of those, and the fact that the minor league system does not have labor representation is so guys in the major leagues can make more money than they otherwise would. Well, hold on, hold on. That's true. You're 100% right. The ML or the minor league players are getting screwed. They need to make more. That's a hundred percent true. But they're being MLB players are somewhat sacrificing them because that's what the the makeup of the situation is. Those players are not part of their union, and the the job of the union is to worry about the members of the union, not about necessarily an outside force. And basically, hopefully, the the minor league players win in court some rights that they have heretofore not gotten and that they can, they can get some of those things. This money doesn't have to come from, it's not minor league players versus major league players. This is minor league players. Minor league players need to get this money from MLB owners. Well, his point was that you're saying the players are only getting 40 some percent of yeah, like the total revenue. Yeah. But you could, you could make an argument that to get over 50%, that's the money that should go to minor league players. So they're actually paid a living wage. And I would be a hundred percent thrilled with which would needs to be, which means that nothing would change with the way that major league players are paid. Right. And so ultimately this is, so all of this in terms of lamenting the fact that Chase Anderson is being underpaid is the fact that people want to complain that the owners are making a lot of money. Is that what it comes down to? More money than they really should. No, no, no. Well, no, 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 no. No, They're making more than they should. If people are willing to pay it and that's the amount of money they're making, that's what they get. I was like, even even if the owners are getting 40% instead of 60%, they're still making more money than they should. Yeah, I mean, there's an argument, but even I'm talking relative to what the other pro sports are like baseball's really, really they went from being the having the best situation 15, 20 years ago. The players, the players relative to like percentage of total revenue of the sport, they went from being far and away the best to now being the worst. And well, but remember, they they do four majors. They do. They do get to retire and they can walk and they have you know, full brain function and everything like that. So they aren't in a terrible situation, but But, okay, we're going to, we're going to kind of move on. So Anderson, um, he was able to improve his hits per nine. He dropped from 9.2 to 7.2. His K's per nine went from about 6.5 to seven to uh, eight and a half this year. So JP, do you think that was all just a matter of the improved uh, curveball, giving him an extra pitch? Is it the velocity? Um, I, I guess, what did he do that he can maintain those gains he made this year? Yeah, I mean, partially, it's, it's certainly velocity. Uh, I think it is the fact that he can now throw four pitches. I mean, he can do a lot of the same things that you talk about Zach Davies being able to do, except maybe a little bit better because his fastball is better than Zach Davies. Um, but, I mean, ultimately, it also comes down to the fact that I think it was his best uh, batting average on balls and play of his career by – quite a bit by at least 25 points or something like that 
Uh, yeah, um, I think he was at like 267, and his best before that was like 285 or something like that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I have it pulled up. So 287 was his uh, was his career best, and then 265 this year. Um, and so he's being able to do that. Yeah, you switched a couple of numbers. Don't give me that. I was book. pretty. Hey, that was and just off the top of my head. I know, but you also did work, and you prepared like a you know a good host, and you got to get down to the fact that ultimately he had not i mean yes he did have some statistical uh increases pretty much across the board but they were pretty marginal other than the fact that you are looking at he he did miss a lot more bats this year right i mean his his swinging strike rate i think was at uh eight last year and it's about 10 10 and a half this year so i mean he was it like the strikeout rate bumping up wasn't the fact that you know, he's fooling more guys. So they're looking at more strikes and maybe that's going to change. Guys are legitimately swinging and missing more. They're chasing more out of the zone. So those types of uh, increases are good, which I don't think we should see him go up and be like a four, four and a half ERA guy like he had been prior to last year. Uh, but no, I don't think he's going to be chucking up a two, two, seven, four again. By the way, both Anderson and Nelson both made huge gains in dropping their whip. They were both like, 1.3 1.4 guys and they were down at around one this season mm-hmm. is that a mechanical change do we say Derek Johnson is a genius as a pitching coach um I just just the fact that they both made it at the same time uh, yeah it, it's a good question I mean I think ultimately we don't have too much we don't have too much to say here because we don't know, but Nelson does attribute it to the fact that Derek Johnson was helping him with his mechanics. Chase Anderson I mean, does also. Yeah, Chase Anderson does as well. So I think that there is an argument saying Derek Derek Johnson is at least a cause, uh, if not the cause. But the pitchers also, have confidence in him at least. The yeah, pitchers absolutely. definitely believe in him. Yep. Absolutely. And I don't know if that's like you know, everybody's being told that they have to be, you know, like if Derek Johnson says something, you have to to follow through with it. But it does seem like there's a pretty big buy in just from the pitchers on their own on their own account, being able to uh, take into consideration his mechanical tweaks, changing, changing their grip. Um, but, you know, Nelson's also talking about the fact that he finally, you know, worked on his core, strengthened his lower half to be able to improve his his stability throughout which is i think one of the big reasons why you've seen his his command improve the fact that he has a lot more stability and a lot more strength throughout his body uh his his core and his lower half he can depend on that to not necessarily move as much and that helps your arm stay in the the correct pathway in which you're going uh to the plate so i think it's yeah i mean i do think that Derek Anderson or Derek Derek Anderson Derek Johnson probably has something to to do in it but how much I you know I don't think there's any way for us to know I have one more question I don't know how accurately you can answer this yet um I I know over the years the Brewers tended to have pitchers that were extreme over the top deliveries yeah um you could find a lot written up about it and they did well keeping guys healthy for the most part but you also saw guys who had control issues and a lot of that was typically attributed. Uh, Ryan's rolling his eyes because we've been through this a lot. You know, the the spine tilt. Um, generally, mm-hmm. guys weren't great at you know just throwing a lot of strikes. Is there mm-hmm. a change? Are we seeing that happen right now with how they're coaching guys up with their uh, delivery, with the new regime with Stearns coming in and starting to get his own guys, own coaching yeah. staffs? I don't know. I haven't thought about that all that much. Um, it does not seem that a lot of the guys right now have extreme over-the-top deliveries i'm trying to think of 
Like Gallardo was an example. If you wanted to I mean, go back I'll, and see yeah, a guy who had well, that extreme over the top. Oliver Drake is somebody who does the, who has an extreme over the top delivery. I don't count relievers. That's, that's, that's his own thing. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I mean, what do you count the, relievers for <laughs> roster spots? One of the big things with, I mean, there is something to say that you can put much less stress on your shoulder uh, and, and your arm pitching from an over the top slot. I think that that, and you can create better playing that way if you can do it right. I think that that's, that's correct. But the fact that you have to tilt your spine so much that you lose pretty much any kind of consistency that you have. Um, Shelby Miller is somebody who does kind of the same sort of thing. And Shelby Miller's all over the place with his, his mechanics. Um, just because it, it's so much pressure on on your spine and your back to be able to do that tilt in the exact same way every single time to let your arm actually hit hit your plane you're trying to hit well and you can uh, just Mike see Myers the lack obviously of obviously was obviously somebody too yeah and you can just see the lack of balance in that delivery oh absolutely absolutely so i you know whether or not that there is a conscious change i don't know i haven't asked anybody about it because i haven't i haven't thought about it it's a great question though so well, I guess that'll be that's what we're going to work towards finding out this winter. I guess because we'll have a lot of time to, to have, we got to figure out things to talk about. So because they yeah. aren't going to they aren't going to sign every somebody new every week. Um, but they did make another signing, and I know Ryan, you have to be excited about the return of Eric Sogard. What do you think of that signing? For it's two and a half million dollars. He's got another uh, six hundred fifty thousand dollars as in incentives. I guess. What do you think of the signing? What's it mean for? Uh, say Hernan Perez or Jonathan VR and their ability to maybe sign another guy at second base. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's a lot of stuff. That's all kind of wrapped up into this. Yeah. So answer it all really quick. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So um, yeah. Sogard is look, Eric Sogard up to this point in his career before 2017, he was a career 239, 295, 313 hitter. Granted, this is from 2010 to 2015, so it's largely in an era where offense had really gone down compared to what it was this year. But And he was playing in Oakland. And he was playing in Oakland. But we're talking about a 72 OPS plus for his career before this year. Coming into his time with the Brewers, 72 career OPS plus in, you know, 1,300 plate appearances. So you're talking about a couple seasons worth of of sample there, you know, total overall. And he came out this year and, you know, put up a 273, 393, 378. So 104 OPS plus. Which was was buoyed by the fact that when he joined the team, he hit like 400, 500, 600. Right. Like he came in, he popped like three home runs right away. I I think he's hit more than three home runs in a season. Never. He was, he was stinging the ball right when he, when he came up. That was it. Was a big part of why he he was productive right out of the shoot. Was he was really hitting the ball hard. Um, he's not a great defender. He does not get to that many baseballs uh, overall. He has some versatility. He can play you know the three positions in the infield that are not first base. You don't sound enthused about this. Um, no, I mean it's it's fine. He he seems to be a guy that you know it, it worked for the clubhouse. He has some versatility. He has some abilities. I'm just not compared to Hernan Perez and and uh, Jonathan VR. I would much rather ride with one of those guys for next year. And I, there's no way they bring back all three of them. Like who, that, who, who's the odd man out? 
well, they might it might even be two of them, depending on what they end up doing. If they make a trade or do something along those lines, we'll we're just gonna have to wait and see. Um, because I don't think it's hard to imagine, especially if they bring in somebody to, which a lot of people still want is you know bring back Neil Walker, bring in some sort of second baseman who really you know can be something to sink your teeth into at that position. There's no way they're doing that and bringing back all these other guys. Is this an acknowledgement that they're just not going to be able to compete for like a Neil Walker or they're not planning on it? I think think it raises the probability that we're not going to see another big upgrade at second base. I think it raises it quite a bit. I thought it was a pretty good chance we would see that. I think that chance has gone down significantly as a result of this signing. JP, do you have any thoughts on uh, Sogard coming back this year, especially signing him so, so early? Yeah, I think that for me, it and well, and I said it on Twitter. I think it's I think it's bad news for Jonathan VR, unless Jonathan VR can show that he can handle the outfield, can handle third base, something to that effect. I don't necessarily know if this paints a very good picture for him having a roster spot going forward because I don't think that they're going to go into the season having somebody like VR and Sogard at second base and just calling it a platoon and going forward that way. Um, Who would you rather have? I'd rather have Neil Walker. I'd rather have Ian Kinsler. I'd rather have a lot of players. Who would you rather have if you were choosing between VR and Sogard on the roster for ne- going into next year? I thought you were going to say v- I thought you were going to say VR Perez since that's actually going to be the decision. Mm, well, yeah, because yes, but let's take it back a step and go. Would you rather have Sogard or VR? It, it, I mean, and this is a really unsatisfactory answer, but it depends on what you want, right? What like what is VR worse at than Sogard? Uh, plate discipline, consistency in the field, being able to not strike out in key spots, being like there are a lot of things that VR doesn't do as well as somebody like Eric Sogard. Sogard can. I, you know, his walk rate was like fifteen percent this year, even outside of his uh, fantastic first half. Um, he's somebody that's not going to strike out all that much. He's somebody that you can put at second base and you know that he's not going to make any, you know, glaring errors. And even though VR was getting better at second base and his, his range is significant. So guard somebody, if you are looking for a guy on the bench who can be consistent defensively, that's somebody that you can play there. They obviously trusted Eric Sogard at shortstop more than they, uh, trusted VR. So there are things that Sogard does well, but at the same time, you know, even if there are questions about Sogard defensively, he has a track record of defensive statistics that far outpace what he did last year in a short sample, in a small sample. That's fair. Um, and, but at the same time that not very many people talked about the fact that Eric Sogard hit 204, 338, 248 in the second half. I mean, he was, he was terrible. He had a 248 slugging percentage. A 248 slugging percentage in the second half. Uh, he had a 226 slugging percentage in September. I mean, and, it's, yeah. And I get it, right? But at the same time, if you are going to say that you want Eric Sogard on your team, you have to get somebody at second base who is going to be a starter because you don't want Eric Sogard playing significant amount of time. But Sogard being somebody who can play shortstop, play second base, I don't know if he can play third. It's not, I don't think it's something he's done a lot, but if you are making the claim right now that you're signing him, I don't think you can go into the season with Sogard and VR at second base because 
both of them have huge question marks. And then if you do get through April and neither are performing well, then you have basically punted that position until the until maybe the summer when you could trade for it. What about Sogard VR and Perez? Because that's Perez isn't good either. That's theoretically possible that they could bring back all three of those guys, though that puts Jesus Aguiar in a tough situation. But, but then but it's not like you want Herod and Perez at second base either. No, but <laughs> I mean we're not the ones that signed Eric Sogard. So clearly, like it's <laughs> they No, which is why I'm saying that if you if you like Eric Sogard as somebody who can provide consistency off the bench in case something bad happens. That means for me, you are making a commitment to saying that we need to upgrade second base. Okay, so you see that as the opposite of I do. You think it increases the likelihood that they're bringing in somebody to uh, to fill in that position on a more regular basis. Whereas yeah, I see I it the opposite. I, I think that it means it's less likely that they're going to do that. I don't. I don't understand that argument. So I don't understand why it would mean. VR and and Perez have more likelihood of staying on the roster and being an option at second base just because Eric Sogard's coming back. Any defense of that, Ryan? I'm thinking <laughs> you're trying I, to... I had it. No, I had it in my head, and now it's gone. Um, no, it. I do not because one of the things I do not understand the idea of picking Sogard over VR for a bench spot. That doesn't it would it would it seems weird to me. I mean, unless they just decided if VR isn't playing that consistently, he, that there's no purpose of having Jonathan VR on the well, roster. and it's that would and have it's, to be it. And it's two things, right? Sogard is going to offer more consistency in which you know he can offer good at bats, whether or not the outcome is great. He can still draw a walk. He can still play. But Jonathan uh, VR also walks a lot. I mean, not a lot. Not last not lot. year he didn't. I okay. Continue on. But the other thing is because you like upside. And so you don't want to give up on somebody like VR because if he goes somewhere else and he performs well, it's going to be something that you're going to have to be upset about all year. <laughs> well, you don't want, you don't, I mean, I wasn't, you can't I live wasn't, with the remorse. I wasn't, I wasn't decrying the, uh, the loss of Scooter all year. So, I mean, <laughs> well, that's because you didn't think Scooter had any upside. Well, I don't think anybody <laughs> believes Scooter's going to come anywhere near 27 home runs again. No, I think Scooter Jeanette is like the quintessential example for how the ball was juiced. Yeah, VR's walk rate dropped last year. <laughs> I don't think anybody was arguing that. No. Okay, I, so, I wasn't aware it had dropped quite that much. Okay, so anyways, moving on. Uh, there's eight remaining players uh, in arbitration. Uh, Corey Knable is a Super 2. Jared Hughes, Jeremy Jeffress, Carlos Torres, Jimmy Nelson, Jonathan VR, Hernan Perez, and then Steven Vogt. Uh, now Tom Hardricourt wrote that Stearns has confirmed that he's in active discussion with other players on multi-year deals, but he didn't give names. Is there anybody on your wish list that he'd give a multi-year deal to you hope they're working on right now? Orlando Arcia? He's not on that list. No, 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 no. He's not on that list. And it shouldn't be just contained to that list, but sure. Orlando Arcia would be the guy. Arcia would be the number one guy. J- JP, do you have any guys that you think that they should be working on? Whether they're the guys who are up for arbitration right now, like Canables, probably the well, Domingo Jimmy, Santana. Too. Jimmy Nelson's the biggest name, but otherwise, Canables the biggest name of guys who's going to actually be on the roster to start the season next year. Yeah, I mean, I think you could make an argument for somebody like Garcia. You could make an argument for somebody like Domingo Santana, um, if they think that he is going to be a long term option. I think. 
out of the the list that you provided here, I think Jimmy Nelson is the one that makes the most sense, but you don't necessarily want to commit to somebody long-term who has a shoulder injury, just unless it's going to be an extremely, extremely team-friendly deal. And for somebody like Nelson being able to make sure that you're financially stable, knowing that we don't necessarily know what the rehab process is going to be like for a shoulder, you know, I could, could conceive of that being an option. Um, but I, I don't see any real option for VR. I don't, I don't understand committing to somebody like Perez or vote long-term Carlos Torres, obviously no, uh, Jeremy Jefferson, Jared Hughes. I don't even think Jared Hughes wants to pitch that many more years. Um, so maybe Corey Knable and they want to be able to lock it in before they, he has an opportunity to rack up more saves that could potentially raise his price in arbitration. How much um, are saves raising the price in arbitration now? Is that still in arbitration? Yes. In arbitration, it's still a big thing because I, yeah, I mean, arbitration is not really taking into consideration uh, new statistics all that much because free agency, you're not necessarily going to be able to cash in the same way on that. No, no, but arbitration, but arbitration is also not designed to reflect free agency. Sure. So, I mean, I because the biggest thing that teams did for the longest time was they actually tried to game the system and then they wanted their future closers to be set up men so they could avoid saves and then slide in after the arbitration started. Um, Corey Knable ended up having to kind of take the reins more quickly than I think the the organization planned. So you, I could conceivably see that being a situation where they want to lock that in before he has another chance to... to rack up 40 plus saves and then all of a sudden his contract is just going to be accelerating pretty dramatically um but i think any kind of deal in which it's a long-term deal is going to be very team friendly yeah i threw something out on twitter about canable because it was a discussion point i think on friday or thursday or whatever and it was something in the neighborhood of maybe a four-year deal for high 20s ish at this point because he's projected, MLB Trade Rumors has him at 4.1 for this year. How much money would he be giving up on the back end of that? Um, I know you're worried about these things. That's why I'm asking. He would be giving up less that way. I mean, you know what? He's a reliever. You should not give him any guaranteed money. That's the correct answer. Because <laughs> they're just going to let you down at some point. You're just going to be disappointed. No? You. <laughs> I mean, really, you and relievers, it's... Come on, there's like a handful of guys that, you know, keep doing it year after year. And after that, think, everybody I else think, implodes. I think that you have uh, an opinion on relievers from 2008. I do, and I'm going to cling to that. I know. It was a better time, so I'm going to hold like on a, to that. Like, like, a good, like a good old man, going <laughs> to stick to that one. No, then I'd be complaining about all the short starts in the World Series. Oh, that was right. that was a thing that was going on this week. Oh, yeah, it was. And that's, jeez, yeah. Well, Smoltz was complaining about it from the booth at, during the game. That's why you mute the booth. That, I, you know, I, music. I gotta find the mute button. It takes me a second. You know, these old, <laughs> these the old the old eyes and the the you know clumsy fingers. I couldn't find the mute button in time. But yeah, there were compl- well, what was so odd about it is, and we're clearly moving on now. Um, what's so odd about it is they got a good start out of Rich Hill for four innings. I think it was four innings. Um, where he didn't, he looked like it could have fallen apart at any moment. And then Kenta Maeda came in and was great for the Dodgers beyond that before yes. they had to go like deep into the bullpen. Like they were complaining about something 
where the Dodgers got exactly what they wanted. It just, once the game went into extra innings, that's when they, they lost it to Houston. Yes. Like, so the argument made no sense while it was going on either. I mean, it. you can make the case that it was somewhat overmanaging to pull Hill where it was at, but... But Hill, Hill was getting a good result. Hill didn't look great. No, he didn't. No, it's fair. It's fair. He did not look great. JP, do you like watching the short starts? Uh, it doesn't bother me all that much. I'll just say what I don't mind about the short starts. It means that the pitching changes are made in between innings instead of, you know, some of these uh, uh, playoff games where you're watching like constant pitching changes and they're taking four plus hours. Like this at least limits that you don't have all of a sudden, like let's play every matchup during the game, during the innings. Hey Steve, you know, you could go like in between innings or during one of these horrible pitching changes, you could go do your, your evening ablutions, you know, take your metabucil, do the, the, uh, you're the assuming I'm not or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. You I have to do go that in between these things. And just like, that could be your opportunity to find the mute button even. Yeah. There we go. There you go. But I, well, come on all the extra commercial breaks that they got to throw in when you bring in another reliever. We don't want to Joe Madden this thing up. Oh, Joe. So, I, I mean, yeah. And that's, again, you're playing with the roster in a different way in the postseason. You have more days off. You don't need as many starting pitchers. Why would you manage like you would in the regular season when you don't need to? You can take advantage of playing players who are more suited to the situations you need them in. Especially if you do want to shorten your rotation. There's no point in putting more stress on them going forward especially if you have Maeda who's shown that he can be a successful starter and you bring him in out of the bullpen it's not a big deal it's just people people don't like change people don't like seeing things strange and they mostly don't like narratives in which you can say somebody won because so and so put together a great start well and I think they all lament the loss of you know like Madison Bumgarner carries the Giants to a World Series victory yes the the, the swaggering uh yeah, the, you have the one ace. pitcher that somehow magically does that, not taking into the consideration the fact that they can't pitch every game to win. They right. can't. They literally cannot do that. I mean, I guess did Bumgarner come in as a reliever in one of the games they won? I forget yeah. exactly how it would have played out. Maybe that. So. But he, 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 you're not starting four games in the World Series. It, yeah, that's just not going to happen. Yeah. So, um, okay, uh, moving on. Hey, do you want to talk about possible trades or ridiculous trades? Oh, there was, yeah, the question in there. Do that. Okay. Do that. Okay. Jay Google asks, uh, what was the most ridiculous trade you thought could happen? We had a discussion about it this week, and that's why I bring it up. Because I actually, oh, no, I was. Or do you have something else you're going to bring up? No, I was going to bring up the thing that I found looking back at last offseason. I had been talking about uh, the Brewers trading for Cody Bellinger. Okay. And giving up Ryan Braun. Uh, Ryan Braun, Cody Bellinger. Now, I understand that that wouldn't have been the only things involved in the deal. The Brewers would have to take back money. And, Wait, so was that the with Puig? It was it was after we had we knew about the that Ryan Braun thing that that uh the Dodgers had and the Brewers had discussed it right down to that deadline. So we knew that that had happened. It was but it was like last, I don't know, November that I had talked about, you know, Ryan Braun and Cody Bellinger. So that's absolutely insane and ridiculous and hilarious. Well, and now, I found it. nobody thought Cody Bellinger would come up and... Oh, no, but I mean... Be absolutely ridiculous. Part of the reason I liked Cody Bellinger was because Cody... I mean, this was before the... Because he hits bangers? Well, it was because he was an ascendant prospect. He had 
every year he was just getting better and better as a prospect. And the Brewers at that point, last November, were looking for a first baseman. Like, that's what they needed. And so it was like, oh, well, there's this guy. And we had talked about this trade with the Dodgers. So I was, like, trying to piece together and be like, well, what could we do to, like, make this happen? And, yeah, it's utterly insane. I mean, Bellinger was a – he ended up being a top 10 prospect for most services last winter. And, like, that hadn't come out yet. Like, we didn't know that he was that. But he had been an ascendant prospect. There was no way the Dodgers were trading Cody Bellinger. But for, you thought it could happen last year. But I thought it could happen – yeah, in that time period, and that was insane and wrong. I think I think my favorite thing is that you are – it would be almost impossible for you to come up with a situation in which you would be willing to trade a top 100 prospect. I'm going to set aside the fact that you would not trade a top 100 prospect, but you would consider the opportunity to trade somebody like Orlando Arcia, which we're not going to get into that now because that boggles mm-hmm. my mind. Um, I'm, but, okay, I'm okay entertaining it. I don't want him traded. Right, but th- the fact that you will entertain trading somebody like Ar- Orlando Arcia, but will not even entertain trading somebody like I don't even know. Who, and we should explain like, that, like that Corbin Burns. Yeah, we should explain. <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah. want to trade Corbin Burns. <laughs> we should explain the Arcia thing comes up from a blog post that we saw online this week. Well, but he right. also it was brought a it up earlier yeah. too, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he brought it up earlier in this podcast. It's been so, it, it's been a discussion point among Brewer fans. Yes. Yeah, fans. There's uh, nothing to indicate that it's been a discussion in no, the organization. Absolutely not. Um, and I would say that it makes me laugh that you consider the fact that uh, you can convince yourself that other teams are willing to give up top hundred prospects or top fifty prospects for you or know some top two hundred or some guys <laughs> for some guys that you can, that you see as depreciating assets. Yeah, yeah. I, it was. It's like super good at being able to convince yourself that that's a possibility. So I am taking this and owning it and bringing this up, and you guys are still giving me garbage. No, because it is not just Bellinger. No, because it's not just Bellinger, and you need to be held accountable for this. (laughs) It is, and I think what he's pointing out is your attitude towards guys you're willing to trade from the Brewers to someone else. Why would you think other teams would then? You know, do what you would never want the team to do. So, yeah. Because that would be a trade you literally would never want to see. And the Dodgers have been, the Dodgers have been careful about it. And they're just smart. Right. And they've been careful about trading guys. I mean, in fairness, I did say that it wasn't like going to happen. I, I didn't, I was trying to invent ways for it to happen. And like Bellinger, I didn't know what else you'd have to include in what, the deal. What mushrooms were you eating in your front yard? Like it wasn't. Yeah, it, it was not a serious. Oh, I think this could happen. We're gonna deal. We're gonna deal this guy and this guy and this guy. We're gonna get this guy back. I was, I was very skeptical of whether or not they could actually make that happen. Okay, I, I was skeptical of that. But what I will say is, I at least appreciate that more than like nebulous ideas of like, well, something should have been out there that was better than whatever you know the Brewers have done. Right. I mean, I at least appreciate the fact that if you're going to put together an insane trade package and try to argue why something can happen, that at least gives me something to make fun of instead of like having to just <laughs> deal with an, uh, like an abstraction. Yeah, no. And, and like they weren't going to get Cody Bellinger. It wasn't clear at that point that Bellinger had ascended into, you know, the top 10, but it wasn't clear to us. You just said that he ended up in all the top 10. It wasn't clear and to us. Yeah, it wasn't at clear the, at the moment. I'm sure if you're prospect hound really following it. Before you know, he was a season list came out. 
I think he had, well, I mean, even baseball, even baseball America was putting Cody Bellinger in the top 30 prospects by last July. Oh, they had. Okay. Yeah. I mean, he was, he was, he was moving up lists very quickly. Well, how many, you know, the power hitting first baseman just isn't a thing that exists. Well, like it used the to. thing was he wasn't a power hitter until last season. Like it was 2016. He started hitting for a lot more before that. It was more like he had a sweet swing and he was super athletic and it looked like there was like power projection in Bellinger. And then it was, so people were aware of him and thought highly of him as a prospect, but they, there was also a lot of questions. Well, he doesn't have the raw power that you normally think of as a first baseman. And then last year he went on a power binge though. I think where, what's the Dodgers triple A affiliates in Las Vegas. I think it was, you know, people questioned how legitimate it was necessarily, but there was this, he had, he had been on a big upslope last year because his power finally showed up. Hey, who, does that, who does that sound like in the minors right now? Somebody who guys have been, you know, whether it's Keith Law or Baseball Prospectus or whomever, for power hit, potential power hitting first baseman who hasn't produced the power numbers and then suddenly has come on extremely strongly. Dom Gee. Smith, right? Oh, yeah. I thought you were talking in the Brewer system. I was, okay. Oh, no. Yeah, no, Dom Smith, who, yeah. Yes, Dom Smith. Right. So sometimes it's it's important. I, I just say that because it's important for us to remember that sometimes power projection actually just needs some time to uh, develop. And just like guys have to become men instead of boys. <laughs> sure. Like uh, I meant learn how to. Like I meant strength. learn how to. I meant learn how to play baseball. Um, okay. Like. Right. I mean, because it's. Well, we've talked about the difference between, you know, having power for show and batting practice versus game power. Right. Because, like, even like you were going to bring up Jake Gatewood, Jake Gatewood had plenty of strength. Like, he was hitting 500 foot bombs, like, when he was 18 years old. So, it's not for him, it's nothing to do with raw strength. It's learning how to be able to swing and learning how to be able to play the game of baseball and right. how to be able to translate those tools into, into the game situation. And sometimes you're somebody like Dom Smith in which you just are comfortable being a good hitter. Daniel Murphy's a great example of that too. Somebody who was just a great hitter for years and then suddenly decided, you know what, I can actually focus on hitting, hitting for power now. And he's become one of the best hitters in the game. Speaking of Gatewood, I do just want to make a mention. There was an interview with him on the MLB Pipeline pop podcast, which is worth listening to. He gave a very nice interview to, it was Jonathan Mayo and whoever the other guy was, and kind of went into some of the things he's done to you know, improve and talking about really the mental side of the game was big for him in figuring out how to you know, go about the grind of, of playing baseball on a daily basis like that. So mm -hmm. worth checking out. Hey, JP, do you think we're ever going to see those monsters at first base just hitting home runs again? Because that it's really not a thing like it used to be there for a while. What do you what do you mean? Like, like the I, I mean, you, you like look through the who's, yeah, you look who doesn't the, necessarily hit for a bunch of bunch of average, but just like mashes and isn't very good defensively. Pretty much. Yeah. Is that a thing of the past? I mean, is the inability to be any kind of an athlete that has like defensive value? Is that just a thing of the past? No, I mean, I think if if you saw if like Chris if Chris Carter were able to hit two sixty instead of hitting two ten and could hit forty homers and still not play well defensively at first base, I mean, there were arguments that uh, Girardi got fired because Cashman wanted Chris Carter to play more and Girardi didn't want him to. I mean, there's still 
he keeps getting jobs for a reason, right? Like Dan Vogelbach is still kind of kicking around, even though he can't, I mean, he can't play first base really at all, but. But like, 10 years ago, Vogelbach would probably have a lot more big league at bats at this point than he does now. Probably. Yeah. I think that that's fair. And I mean, to be honest, if we were talking about Bellinger, that was one of the reasons people loved him because he was gold glove defensive first base caliber defense. And Chris Carter would probably have, you know, a $75 million contract or something after hitting 40 home runs a couple years in a row. Like, yeah, I don't know about that. I mean, uh, yeah, the average was so is that valued at all anymore? I mean, I mean, Jack Jack Cuss still couldn't get. Yeah, that's true. 10 years, even 10 years ago, people would have been somewhat skeptical of that. Yeah, yeah, even more than 10 years ago, like they would have freaked out even more of the fact that he couldn't hit for average. Sure, that's like true. 10, 10 years ago would have been like the time for somebody like Chris Carter to be a three true outcome guy. Right. Well, and even then, you'd still have to probably hit 230 ish to At probably least, right? carry a high enough uh, walk rate to be able to, you know, make that sellable. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, Carter, yeah, Carter could always draw walks, but he, you know, just swung and missed so much. That- right. And even, even guys like, you know, like the, the big bruisers who just couldn't play defense, like, Mo Vaughn, right? Like Mo Vaughn still hit for average. Like Mo Vaughn was a good hitter. Well, Mo Vaughn in his peak, yeah, when he was like an MVP, he hit for pretty yeah, high average. Absolutely, right? Like that so, went away quickly once. He well, got to it Anaheim. did, but the guy was also built like a potato. <laughs> I'm trying to think of what what shape that was. Fielder esque. Well, he had fielder body. Prince or Cecil? He was yes. more Cecil, I think. It's a little bit more. Cecil. I'll give he I'll was. give Prince. Prince was squat and wide, but he at least had a physique. Where Cecil was just he was round. I was gonna say when Prince, but also like you know, and Brewers fans know this when when Prince Fielder, like when he was twenty four, twenty five years old, when Prince Fielder got going on the base pass, he wasn't that slow. No, I think it was more I his, mean, his height slowed him down more than his weight. I think. Yeah, I mean, he was, he's, he, he, was he ran really fast good. for his size. That's, that's his. Nice Absolutely. Thing. Right. Yeah. yeah. Kind of that Fred Flintstone short step thing going though. It was a short guy. He wasn't real tall. How tall was <laughs> I'm just picturing it though. I've been literally, was he five ten Flintstone mobile? I don't know. I don't consider them that short. Fielder. Well, it is for professional athletes. Like if it you saw him walking around too. on the street, well, guess, no, but like Eric Thames is what? Five ten, five eleven. Yeah. But Eric Thames is built like a weightlifter yeah i mean when you carry it that way you look a lot taller they eric thames and prince fielder could be the same height but you would think eric thames is taller just because he's built like in a way that makes him look that much taller i remember when eric thames was standing next to uh aaron judge and you were like holy cow eric thames is tiny yeah and you like and why I think it was the same sort of thing next to Giancarlo Stanton as well. We well, should do a, a new podcast segment where Steve talks about like the the bodies of athletes. Body like types. This. Well, he could talk about Jake Arrieta because I know that was a thing that you really wanted. You promised too that you were going to talk about that last week, and it never came up. Well, that, you mean, that the, muscular, uh, flexible body that he has. Yes. Yes. You mean, well, you mean Chris Arrieta? Yeah, Chris Arrieta too. Chris Arrieta. Oh my God! Do you not listen to the podcast at all? We've talked about this. Yeah, we have. <laughs> I download. <laughs> Th- thanks. That really helps. Um, hey, since we were talking about trades before, uh, Beard the Deer asks, uh, who is a prospect outside the top 10 you would refuse to part with? All of them. Yeah. They can't all be top 200 prospects outside of the top no, 10. Because now you actually have to answer this seriously instead of trying to play a caricature so we can't make fun of you for it. So, I mean, are we talking about the 
the top tens coming into this year? Uh, or are we talking about yes. our current top yes. 10s? Because my uh, yeah, top let, 10, I'll let you I off would the hook. rearrange it so that it would yes. be... I'll let you off the hook a little bit. Top 10s that we have out there. So not reflecting currently what's going on. No, 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 no. Oh, because you want it? Yeah. No, because otherwise he could say like Monty Harrison and get off. Okay. Me. Well, yeah, that would right? be ridiculous. No, it's got to be current top 10. Okay. Yeah. And I I haven't done like my own personal top 10 at this point. So could, could find it. Uh, call it top 15. Be, because to you're going to have such a unique top 10 that you couldn't well, look I'm at. I'm just saying, okay, list. I'm looking, I'm looking at it. I would not trade. Yeah. I'll steal Breen's. I'll steal Breen's answer. I, I no, Monty Harrison is a top 10 prospect. And if you try to go with that, I'm going to yell at you. Mario Feliciano. He's top 10 prospect. Oh, guarantee, guarantee you. I don't I, know that it, he would be in my top 10. Fine. Then we're going to call it top 15 because he's going to be in top 10 <laughs> list this year. Okay. I understand what you're saying, but I'm, I'm saying, yeah, I don't think he would be in my top. Wait, he wouldn't be in your top 10, but you wouldn't trade him, <laughs> but I wouldn't trade him. <laughs> okay. He would. Yeah. He would be a guy. That's an example of a guy that's a little higher risk and a little, but the upside is so significant that I would not. Wait, I wait, wait, he is that upside you, and you're not going to put him in the top 10. Then you then you have to have a different answer. Okay, some, so yeah. this is this is fantastic. You guys are just gonna like berate me into like coming up with. So well, we've already no, done that. I want, Somebody no, not inside my top ten. Fine, 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 fine. You can't find a way to wiggle out of it by Good. actually still naming a top ten prospect, but claiming he's not one of yours. God Almighty! Okay. All right. Okay. So, uh, Cody, not Cody Ponce. Actually, Cody Bellinger. Uh, and you know what? Where, where you know are you looking what? at? You're looking, you're looking at the MLB pipeline. Yes. I was just, just so I could see some names. Yes. I'm, yeah, yeah. Cody Ponce. Let's go, Cody Ponce. Okay. Um, or yeah, really, the one I Nathan Kirby would probably be the most. Like, you want a guy nobody's, who's not probably nobody's gonna nobody's gonna trade for him though. Right, and that's kind of my point is that you yeah. <laughs> Well, somebody if if somebody saw him in instructs and they they liked what he looked like and wanted to try to get him as but an they're not going to give anything. Sig- they're not going to get anything significant for him as part of a larger deal. It would have to be part of. A, he'd have to be the you know third guy or whatever. If he has a good face, you think that you know he might be part. <laughs> but it's 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 somebody like that who I think has some significant upside. Like Potts, I think does still have some significant upside, but you're not going to get that value right now. By the way, we talk about, you know, there used now to be the we, joke. Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait, 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 Breen there, has to answer. No, I know. Breen there, has yeah, to answer. No, that's fine. Uh, nobody. There is no one outside the top 10 you'd worry about, like, not trading. No. There you go. Outside of, outside of, I think there is nobody in the system right now that I would even consider trading Brinson. There's nobody in the system that I would refuse to part with. Oh, by the way, I was going to ask, uh, JP, you know, I, I joked about the the old scouting thing where they judge guys on like good face. Yeah. And then they would also judge guys on Tom like, Hanky. well, they ju- judge guys on like, what's their, their uh, girlfriend look like? This was a joke. <laughs> I, I'm That's curious. They get in Moneyball. Yes, yeah. It's a famous. What, what's the, what's yeah. their girlfriend look like? Because it tells you how much confidence they have. Is this a thing of the past? Like, are we getting to the point where, like, just because it is, like, horribly, I don't know, misogynistic, like, are we going to move past that? Or is that still a thing in baseball, do you think? About judging things off of somebody's girlfriend? Yeah, just stupid shit like that. Oh, well, no, I do think that's, like, I don't know about that exact thing. But, no, people still judge things off of stupid shit all the time. They're they're still regressive in that way? uh, Absolutely, because there's no way that you can, there's no way that you can, you still have to... 100% be able to scout makeup. You have to. 
that Kevin Goldstein, who's with the Astros now, says that he still struggles and their organization spends so much time trying to figure out how to scout makeup because more people miss because of makeup concerns than they do because of skill concerns. And the real way to get it, too, is if you can catch a guy who has exceptional makeup and is going to be able to improve their tools improve on them and you can catch a, a guy who's a, a really by low candidate the the classic example of this i think is goldstein not goldstein um goldschmidt oh paul goldschmidt, paul goldschmidt that they talked about the fact that like the, when they bought in on him they thought this guy is going to live and die to improve himself and become the best player he possibly can and they really bought into that and he just improved and improved and improved and improved. And if you can find that guy, if you can find that guy that's just has that plus, plus, plus makeup, that could be something to really target. And you can get a big discount on a guy like, that way. Like everybody, we all confuse Paul Goldschmidt and Kevin Goldstein. We had just talked about Goldstein. <laughs> but, like literally but a I, name that was 30 seconds ago. Good God. But I will say that, like, because there is no real way to be able to scout makeup, especially if you're only seeing a guy three or four times, like that's the reason why amateur scouts spend so much time scouting and they, and they sit on guys for so long. Um, and the rumor but, mills. Well, now the when they're, when they're sitting important. on guys, are, is there a way they're interacting with these guys to learn makeup or is it oh, yeah. really just from a distance they're watching what they do? I want both. I mean, they'll definitely do do things and from a distance, but they'll talk to family members. Uh, you know, in general, like a lot of these people will have relationships with the players. They'll have relationships with the scouts you know, from a, other teams. What? Oh, are you talking about guys who are actually in the system already? Okay. Yes. I. I mean, like if you're if you're a pro uh, uh, pro scout, so you're following some of the other minor league teams around. Got it. Do they get that opportunity, or are you only talking about the basically the guys who are scouting for the draft? Yeah, I was more talking with the draft. The vast majority of things that end up having to happen is you talk to people who know, you talk to you know past managers, you talk to other people that are associated with the player. I don't necessarily know if there's a lot of relationships between opposing team scouts and players. That I don't think that that happens all that often. But the scouts um, are constantly talking to each other. Oh yeah. So I mean, that's the, probably where they get the most of currency. That. Yeah, that's that's Absolutely. the currency of of what they do is rumor and conjecture and gossip and all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, and I mean that's why you see such huge things about you know guys dragging their feet after at bats or guys like not taking you know shagging balls all that aggressively in in the outfield or not talking as much or hanging their head after things because those are the things that you really have to pay attention to. Uh, or at least people do pay attention to, to try to figure out how guys are feeling. Um, and, but it's hard because maybe like somebody's just dealing with the flu and they just feel like garbage for a week, like, and they're still being able to play through things. And so it, a lot of it is conjecture and, you know, Goldstein and I were like, he, he said like, that's the main thing that they're working on. Um, and because there's, if you can hit on makeup, like I, everybody can scout tools. Like everybody can scout velocity. People can scout pitches, you know, like just, they're just get a speed gun and you can scout velocity. I mean, that's what the vast majority of online scouts are doing, right? Like I, I, I obviously like baseball, uh, America, MLB pipeline, BP guys like that. Like, you know, they're actually paying people to go and do it. So like they're more advanced than people that are just showing up and, and trying to stand behind guys who have stand behind scouts so they can look over their shoulder and be like, Oh, so-and-so's throwing 95 miles an hour. Isn't that great? Uh, but 
you cannot run an organization and try to run a minor league system without paying attention to makeup. You just can't do it. I mean, that's why that there were teams for somebody like uh, groom who was ended up taken by the, the Red Sox. Like he was the best pitcher in the draft bar none. And there were at least half of the teams that wouldn't touch him. Mm-hmm. Including and, potentially the Brewers. Yeah. yeah. I mean that, that there were just, just straight up will not do it. Um, and there are teams that are willing to take more shots on makeup. And I do think that there's something to say, you know, like we were talking, like we mentioned, Lucas Ersig, like Lucas Ersig has had issues in the past. Um, but by all accounts, he, his makeup, if you know, whatever you want to say, like he is, he is growing as a person and he, people are deserving of second chances and you have to be able to do those things. Um, you know, and there are people that if we want to talk about getting minorities into, organized baseball as well if we want to talk about getting african-americans to play baseball and people are coming from tough backgrounds you cannot try to hold people to the same accountability as somebody who you know is growing up in some private school in the east coast and has had great you know has had great coaches great social life great academic life parents that can chill out ten thousand dollars a year to yeah if you're you're going to harvard westlake yeah and parents who can be at every single game every single traveling game and you have the support of your family like you just can't do that so people have to be able to get second chances um but at the same time like makeup matters more than the vast majority of people think so on that, we're going to wrap up the episode this week. So uh, that's going to do it for the show. As always, follow us on Twitter at MKE Tailgate. You can also submit questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or through our Facebook page for Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. And you can leave reviews and help people find the podcast. So thanks for listening and look for us again next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate. So Ryan, you are in the document an an anonymous quagga. Quagga? Okay, hey. Q U A G G A. That's not a real thing. You're a it skunk. It's like the mix between a horse and a zebra. That's Ryan. Okay, ready? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>